0: If a picture is worth a thousand words, dear listener, a season on Netflix is certainly worth at least one podcast episode. In this episode, your intrepid hosts begin their journey down the rabbit hole of Bridgerton, where they discuss becoming citizens of Shondaland, momages, and how to stop worrying and just live the fantasy. Without further ado, talk of the turn, the Duke and us, episode one, from Shondaland, with love. Listeners, I'm Elle. I'm Aaron. And we are two of the over 82 million households that fell deep into the Bridgerton series, and we can't like things in a chill way. And in this episode, we're discussing the Bridgerton Netflix series.
1: So, L, I I know that I read this book like t- something like 10 years ago, because since I work in a library, at the time I was trying to really get to know the different genres of collections that we have. And romance was one that wasn't really on my radar. And I kind of asked around at the time, and everyone was telling me that I had to read The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. So again, I read it. I liked it. Didn't really think much about it, honestly. And then when I saw this show came out, I was like, Hey, that sounds familiar, (laughs) and realized that it was it was a book that I had read uh, so many years ago, even though it actually came out twenty years ago, which seems nuts. But what is your background with the series?
0: So I actually came into it with very little knowledge, which I think you know when it comes to something like this, like adaptations, it's um a little bit of a blessing to come in ignorant <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of the content and what it's based off of because you get to just enjoy it as a singular thing. And so yeah, I came into it with very little knowledge of the book series, I would say no knowledge of the book series and and yeah, just seeing it advertised on Netflix's splash page as something that was coming out, something that looked pretty and like something I would be into, but I've got to say my my background with romance, especially historical romance is you know, I think something that is common among people, I know the classics, I've read the classics, your Jane Austen's, your Bronte, mm-hmm. familiar with that stuff, love that stuff, but really didn't pay much attention to current romance. And I got most of my romance media through television shows and movies and have always enjoyed them, but for whatever reason, just w- was not compelled enough to get into the books. So, yeah, that's where I came to this kind of fresh and wide eyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like Daphne. Just,
1: <laughs> just a sponge. Yeah. Ready um, for the world. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what is love? What is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I didn't. Romance was not a genre that I really followed very much. I mean, I um, there's a few genres, I think, that take like a backseat to the larger fiction genre and it's like you know romance is one um sci-fi sometimes even mysteries sometimes get like a you know like a i don't know that they're maybe not as important or not as well written any kind of stereotype that you want to put on it um westerns is another one which working at the public library you'd be amazed at how popular westerns are Uh, but yeah so it was it was just nothing that really struck my fancy to like kind of seek out but I really did like, like the book when it came out. And then when the show came out, I was like, dang, I really like this. And so um, I know you and I both have started to adventure into the, the rest of the books in the series. I think you've almost finished, right? And then um, I'm, I'm a couple books away from, from the end. But Oh, yeah.
0: like I, I finished and I've, I'm fully now into this romance genre journey. I'm like deep into other series by other current authors. Through Bridgerton, my enjoyment of reading has been reignited like in a in a way that I didn't think was possible because I do so much reading for work. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of reading that is technical, that is dry, that is painstaking in a lot of ways. And so my attitude had become that I'm so tired of reading all day that that's not what I want to do when I have my off time. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to consume media, I'm going to do it through either an audio audiovisual medium. Yeah. And I had forgotten how fun it is to mm-hmm. read. Yeah. Which is kind of a sad thing. But, it, like, honestly, I used to be just a voracious reader when I was a child. Mm-hmm. I read so much into my teens and everything, but you know, I feel kind of life yep. gets in the way sometimes, but it fell to the wayside for um, so much of my adult life that uh, I've just been reignited in this way. And I've, I've blown through the eight books in the series, the Bridgerton series, and think like I'm five or six more books into other authors right now. Nice. So I've, I, I've consumed so many books because of Bridgerton, which is something that, I don't know, uh, Yay. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful to the show for. And I think part of the reason why I'm so interested in, like, exploring Bridgerton, but we're, you know, we're not really here to talk about the book right now. We will talk <laughs> no. about We'll yeah. we talk about the book in more detail later on. But right now we're here to talk about the Netflix show.
1: Yeah. I love, I love that. I just want to say that, yeah, the thing is you kind of never know where inspiration sparks and mm-hmm. where that's going to take you and i think that that like uncertainty is really exciting and so it it could be something like a show that aired on christmas in the (laughs) middle of a pandemic and then like wow suddenly you know your life is is much more enriched for it so i love that so um Speaking of the show, here's a brief synopsis. I just want to give a warning, though, that throughout the podcast, since we will be talking about the series, this first series of Bridgerton in total, there will be spoilers. So if you have not watched the show yet, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You definitely need to watch it.
0: Stop this. Stop this. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we are both on our like second or third or fourth rewatch of the series. So go do that. Um, But if you need a refresher, the show is about Regency England, and we start at the start of the season, where men and women will essentially be shopping around for spouses. Daphne Bridgerton is one of eight children. She's the oldest sister, and her older brother, Anthony, is overprotective, and he has scared off any potential suitors, um, except for one sad sack, but we'll get to him uh, (laughs) when we talk about some more of the characters. The Duke of Hastings, also known as Simon Bassett, is newly back to London after the death of his father, and he is not too keen on the attention that he's receiving from the mothers and daughters of the Tan. Um, I know they refer to the moms as the mamas of the ton. Yes. Daphne and Simon um, come to an agreement to pretend to be courting for the season thus shooing away the ladies from the Duke and attracting gentlemen to Daphne. But what if the ruse turns into reality? Dun dun dun! Oh
0: no, what if (laughs) acting like we're in love means we'll fall in love?
1: Yeah, what if looking into each other's (laughs) eyes longingly turns into looking into each other's eyes longingly?
0: Yeah, what if spending time together and developing a friendship?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And we're both hot. Turns yeah. into something more.
1: <laughs> wow. Nothing could go wrong. No. <laughs> so that's kind of the the very, very brief synopsis of the show. It's yeah. obviously much more detailed, much more layered than that. But yeah, let's talk about what we liked about the show.
0: Yeah. So one thing that, you know, is part of the conversation, I think, when it comes to the show and why why it's so popular, why people are so attracted to it is the female perspective, a feminist perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And it's there. And I think that's just indicative of romance. They're written by women, for women generally. And that's, you know, changing today as romance becomes more diverse, becomes more intersectional. Mm-hmm. It's certainly open to, to more uh, viewpoints. But traditionally, th- these were stories for women, by women, right? And so it, it has that female perspective. And that comes with how women have to deal with being in society And deal with being seen as property, more or less. And I will say that in all those ways, yes, it's feminist. That is just by nature of the genre. Mm -hmm. I will say specifically the show is feminist Mm -hmm. because it shows all of us that you can achieve anything you want with whatever bangs you want. (laughs) You... (laughs) So the next time you're like, I don't know, I might fuck up these bangs if I cut them. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Because Daphne is out there with yeah.
1: her her tiny. The, you know, I call I call
0: her Daphne in parentheses. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: The, the, her little parenthetical bangs yep. that, that look like her forehead's about to give stage directions. <laughs> and, she, and she's out there landing a duke. And if she wanted, she could have landed a prince. Yeah. So so that is telling all the girls out there, Shonda's doing it for the girls, doing yeah. it for everybody. Do not let your hair hold you back with your confidence levels, with I anything. Love that. <laughs>
1: so I love that.
0: Go go fuck up. <laughs> it is bangs. like yeah,
1: like if there's one lesson for all of us to learn from this pandemic where a lot of us have to, have to give ourselves haircuts, that <laughs> yeah. is yeah, anyone can rise above a bad haircut.
0: Yeah, you can find love. Yep. You can. You're probably not going to find Simon Bassett, but <laughs> yeah, who will, other than Daphne? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very true. So my favorite thing, I think, about the show is the family in general, just the Bridgertons, and that, like, so I'm the youngest of five kids, and, you know, five is not eight, but boy, howdy, does it feel like it sometimes? And so, you know, seeing their sibling relationships and, like, all, like, the interior joking that they do... And um, that their family seems to really like each other, which actually I think the mom says at some point when Simon Bassett is over for dinner, he's like, all of your children are sitting at the table? And she's like, well, yeah, I know it's not in fashion, but we all like each other. It's like one of my favorite lines of the show.
0: I know. I love that that strong family dynamic and yeah. that they all have very specific personalities that make sense within their world yeah. together.
1: Yeah. And even outside of the family, there's not really, I mean, there are certainly unlikable characters, but there's, there's no real villains. Like there's, um, I mean, we can talk about Nigel Burbrook. Maybe, <laughs> maybe now's the time to bring him up. He's kind of yep. like as villainous as we get. Maybe even um, Lord Featherington is a bit, but, but everyone kind of has like a, a an understandable agenda behind yeah. like, what they're doing.
0: It's not, they went through, I think, great pains to make all of these characters three-dimensional, four-dimensional. Yeah. Like, they, th- these are not hollow characters. Right. They have internal mechanisms that are made clear to us, like, why they're doing the things they're doing and that there's context where it makes sense that in their head they're doing the right thing. Except for maybe Nigel Burbrook. <laughs> but, <laughs> he, he is, like, the most just straight up, he is a, uh, caricature of, yeah, a caricature. Yeah, he's just of a villain. creepy guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. But creepy guys exist in the real world. Yeah, like, I just I think that that's kind of true too. But yeah, and especially in like a story that is pretty trope heavy. Yeah. That like you know, and that's maybe one of the things about about romance that I've seen is that there are a lot of tried and true tropes. And I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that they they work for a reason. But they really work when you have really well rounded characters that seem to have you know pretty unique. Um, voices and choices that they're making. Uh, and that's definitely the case here. Yeah, for sure.
0: Even Lady Featherington, she does things that are not nice. Right. But she's there are parts of her that they make likable. <laughs> like, they, she yeah. is not a wholly awful person. There is reason why she does things that are villainous to protect her family. protect her daughters. Mm -hmm. But she's also not made out to be trying to be likable either. She is who she is. Yeah. And parts of that are, you know, endearing, parts are not. (laughs) Right. She's written like a real person. And the writers on this, the the people who translated this from book to script did such an amazing job at making these people whole because it's it is so easy sometimes, you know, when you adapt something that you hollow out characters right. too much and that right. they become caricatures just avatars of yeah. a trope you know
1: yeah she's a really perfect example i think because she's like and in, in the books more so she's kind of known as the the town gossip or the town gossip mm-hmm. and you definitely get a sense of that in the show too but you see her fall more in the show where she is generates the gossip and then is the subject of the gossip and like you can't help but feeling sorry for her even though two episodes ago you saw her totally like spilling the tea on someone else (laughs) it's just i think that she's a lesson in you know the infallibility of of the human character but but yeah a lot of these people they just they are trying to survive like especially the women You know, these things, these choices, Daphne really talks about how, you know, choosing a husband is like, she's choosing the rest of her life. We're meeting her at a very crucial pivoting point of her life.
0: She's on a precipice.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's
0: a very, like you said, fragile time for a woman where you have everything in front of you, but everything includes all the disastrous possible endings. And there's so many yeah, <laughs> that yeah. could possibly happen. You can very easily choose wrong. These courtships, they don't last that long. So Mm-mm. how do you know? You know, how do you know somebody in a couple months?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That kind of thing. And like, there's just so much stress on top of it. And then to have an
1: overprotective brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And how do you know them personality wise? But also, how do you know them physically? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you, how, how do you know what sex is? How do you know
0: what horniness
1: is? That's right. Unless Simon Bassett gives you like a pretty kind, nice summary at the corner of a a path when you're on a promenade. And I've got to say that part
0: of what makes the romance and kind of like the hot and heavy sexual stuff in this not cringy, which I Mm -hmm. think is like is a natural reaction from people whenever sex is brought up. Mm-hmm. People just are very uncomfortable talking about sex. <laughs> yeah. Why this hits so well, I think, is that while the rules in, in this world, in, in this, you know, Regency set, are so much more rigid. Daphne is so much more sheltered. The, the the women of the taunt are so much more sheltered in that way. Mm-hmm. And it seems ridiculous because now we have access to all this information and, you know, she could you, Google what has come right. <laughs> if she wanted to. Yeah, it, We're still that way, though. Even though that the information's out there, parents still have a very difficult time talking to their children about what sex is.
1: Yeah. Never mind public school education. Like, yeah. I, went, I'm in, I grew up in a pretty rural... Like, Farm County with Farm County mentality about what they tell children about sex, even in health class. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, thank God the internet was coming out when I, when I was growing up
0: because I would have, you know, not known a lot of stuff. And I think in that way, because we still have that weird prudishness when it comes to sex and, like, teaching what that is to our, our children, or adolescents coming up. Mm-hmm. is that it, it still exists. It's still a thing that we deal with. So when we see Daphne as, you know, this this young woman mm-hmm. who has no idea what what sex is, what horniness is, what right. masturbation is.
1: Th- what makes her feel good. Yeah, like, like that is...
0: That is still adolescence coming up today, even. yeah, We still have those questions. Young humans still have that question because they still have all those feelings. And it's embarrassing to talk about it, usually, yeah. to your parents. It's embarrassing for your parents to talk to you about it. And, like, finding good, reliable sources yeah. yourself is very difficult to do. So
1: Especially for women, I think. yeah, And that, like, a woman's sexuality is still this, like, mysterious i don't know like kind of thing and yeah like i think that if people women were taught about like healthy ways to masturbate healthy ways to um explore what might feel good or what they might think a partner would want you know them to do or have them be done to them whatever um that stuff yeah because if you do use google or you (laughs) go on the internet you find a very male centered a very heterosexual male centered version of sex absolutely and that can often be like tearing women down tearing uh non-masculinity down it it so yeah it can be yeah. it's extremely extreme...
0: narrow and it's, it's extremely yeah. performative so it's yeah. not actually informational and it's right. it's harmful in the end yeah because it it shapes how you view yourself and if yep. you don't even if you fit into the mold of a, a cishet person it's still damaging because it's all performance-based yes yeah (laughs) and not actually pleasure-based yeah and I think in that way that that episode where Daphne discovers what horniness is yep (laughs) and Simon gives her that just perfect explanation yeah Of what pleasure your body can feel Mm -hmm. In in a way that is so Mm Non-judgmental And is so
1: factual (laughs) Yeah Well and he's also He's doing it Like they are still In this ruse They're still just friends She is looking for a husband that is not him He has told her he is not interested in marrying They are literally just friends And so he doesn't seem to have this like Agenda There's no like aspect of grooming going on or that he's um, instructing her on how to touch herself in a way that's pleasing to him he just so simply tells her like hey here's a thing that you can do and you do it until it feels good and then that's how you know what feels good and it's like yeah. so simple and so kind like it's it's yeah. the it's the weirdly like least mansplainy way a man has ever explained something <laughs> yeah. to a woman which is pretty bonkers how how they can achieve that it's pretty amazing writing again just amazing Uh,
0: writing and the way that it's done in the episode is so good and so funny yep but also so sweet and sincere at the same time like they struck an amazing balance yeah and yeah like that's one of the things that's like this addresses the just kind of the the mystery the the void that a lot of people deal with becoming an adult and not understanding sexuality yeah and and how harmful that can be to a person and their partner or partners. it can cause harm to be left ignorant of yeah you know, what what is what is consent all of the things we are, are again still things that we deal with today, yeah, and I think part of why this hits so hard because it's it's framed in this distant way where we can look at it as a an objective observer an outsider, yeah. and so we can view it differently than we. Do in real life.
1: Well, and really, he's in that very quick, like one line that he gives her of instruction. He is teaching her like a foundation of consent, which is like this is a thing that you are in control of with yourself and what make what feels good to you. But then later, when they, spoiler guys, they do get together. <laughs> um, when they are like making love, he's there's like a, at least a moment or two, maybe more. Um, oh shucks, maybe I'll have to rewatch it again and find out. Oh no! That that he asks, he like stops you know, touching her and and asks her like, is this okay? You know, whatever. He like asks for continued consent and like ugh, as a grown ass woman, (laughs) that is like one of the sexiest things I've ever seen. Like I think I like punched the air when it happened because it's like so sweet, so considerate, so kind and like sexy. Consent is sexy and like the the more we can get that message out to everyone, the better.
0: It's such a staple of modern romance. The the, the mm-hmm. talking while yes. in passion and like, you know, the, do you like this? Does this feel good? That is a part of modern romance. And I think it's such an important part of it because that shit is sexy yes that that shit that is like good stuff and it's something that more people should be aware of that you know sex is in it's a conversation yeah it it should be an ongoing conversation between two people using words or not yeah (laughs) but it ensuring that the other person is feeling pleasure is one of the sexier things that you can do for a person absolutely making sure that they are enjoying what is happening
1: yeah here's the thing I TMI but I think that like everyone has this to a degree I've got two g-spots one <laughs> is in the normal place <laughs> the other one is in my brain folks Yes. so like if you're able to like yeah cause, cause not only is that like a consideration and like asking for consent or whatever but just the act of communicating and talking adds to so much of another level of intimacy Yes. that is just like poof, Intergalactic. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah.
0: Cause there is, it, it's that thing that, you know, they talk about in that episode um, where Daphne is like, what can be physical and intangible? Like what, yeah, what yeah. Be, it is that yeah. thing of like, you know, the, there's caring for the body and lusting after the body. And then there's mm-hmm. caring for the mind and wanting somebody deep inside themselves to be comfortable and be part right. and be like present and enjoying themselves. Like that, that's a whole other level. Yes. Because you, you can enjoy sex where you're checked out. It's possible to do. Yep, yep. So that is something that is just very compelling about the show and something that I think breaks it apart from other shows because other shows feel much more like the, the sex is written for the male gaze in a yeah. way. Yeah. And it is performative and is, like, very... It's it, it's not much different than porn in that way where it's, yeah. like, it it is just... the shocky value of it it's a bit for that performance of it but it's not really about what makes it good yeah and this the show is more about what makes that good yeah and i will say too something that i've seen brought up like a couple times and it it happens with anything especially period pieces there are a lot of reviews and critiques that i'm seeing that are so there's so much about the accuracy (laughs) Oh God. <laughs> how parts of it are inaccurate about the time period and about if they would wear this kind of corset. Oh my gosh. If the flowers look real, all of that stuff. And I just got to say this, fuck
1: accuracy. Yeah. yeah. Who gives a crap? What the hell? This is fantasy. Yeah.
0: Through and through. It yeah. is visual and fictional confection. You Don't go to the fair and complain about the lack of healthy food.
1: That's right. not,
0: no one, no one's going to the fair for healthy food. Right. Don't indulge in the chocolate if you're too worried about the calories because it's just not for you. Like, right. It's not for you. If, you, if you're if you going to be so wound up tight and not be able to enjoy this thing because it, it's not accurate yeah. or parts of it feel too fantastical then it's it's simply not for you
1: i mean let's be real it's 1813 Mm -hmm. everyone's crapping into chamber pots under their beds (laughs) yep everyone has teeth rotting out of their head yep everyone has lice or dandruff or bed bugs because you know that just happens like it Everyone's breath smells terrible. Yeah, everybody so, has, like,
0: everybody has days old in their hair, hair okay? Yeah, like, yeah. It is gross. It is like, <laughs> so fucking gross. Half the half the time, like, this is in the period of time where the idea of women's underwear was, like, a new thing. Yeah. Ladies were still fully out there, commando. Yeah.
1: Bathing was happening, mm, who knows how frequently. It, infrequently.
0: Very. Infrequently. Yeah. And also, so the realities of this, they, they don't, it wouldn't be fun. If we were going to stick to straight academic levels of caring about how accurate it is. Yeah. I, that's not what I'm here for. No. Part of what I think makes us so successful is that attitude towards fuck accuracy. Yeah. Because we also Fantasy. have, we also have colorblind casting mm-hmm. and that has made it. I think that that's part of the reason why this, that this struck a bell yeah. <laughs> with society because it invites people in to the fantasy that otherwise might not be attracted to it because they don't see themselves in this world. Yeah. And this show is so much better for the things that it, it has said, you know what? That doesn't matter so much. It is so much better because it made the decisions to say, we are making something that's fantasy and mm-hmm. we're going to make it for as many people as possible. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm i not here to, to care about whether or not i don't even know
1: like the wisteria is real or anything who cares Elle and i have talked about this series for a while now and i remember you know a lot of it's about uh reggae john page is so hot um well the sex scenes are great blah 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 but the fact that daphne's character has a vaginal orgasm <laughs> like <laughs> yeah! Despite being brand spanking new to that type of sex or any type of sex, alone, that alone should tell you we're living in a fantasy world, okay? 1,000%.
0: If you you weren't sure whether or not this show was, you know, um, based in reality (laughs) and not completely in fantasy, yeah, the number of purely vaginal orgasms... (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. Like,
1: I know. Like... (laughs) Yeah. So and, um, and so
0: quickly, like he doesn't even have to like touch her with no, anything but his dick. No, and she's there.
1: <laughs> yeah, wild. she's like, ow, ow, oh my gosh, here it goes. It's like, wow, that is a fantasy, and I'm I'm ready and willing to watch that fantasy. Yeah, I I, that I, fantasy.
0: I love the idea that that could be
1: a <laughs> a lifestyle. Sure.
0: sure, there's a certain amount of shorthand. That's required to make things interesting, to keep things, like, moving and interesting. And that's one Mm -hmm. of the things that they do. Again, this is not for for caring about accuracy to the time period, accuracy to how bodies actually work. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Because at the same time, Simon is convinced that he will never have kids if he just does the pull up method. (laughs) Which, I mean, Simon... Like, I, yeah. I hate to break it to you, but you were going to have a kid one way or another.
1: Yeah, that could work sometimes. Yeah. But it's not tried and true, man. No. No, 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 no. But yeah, so the, I do think the casting, you know, this, because uh, now that it has existed in the world for a couple months, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, memes and comparison to other shows, one of which was the Rodgers and Hammerstein version of Cinderella that came out with Brandy as being... Yeah. Um, Cinderella and as um, Whitney Houston being Fairy Godmother. It was a great, great show. I definitely watched it when it was on and loved it. But whereas that felt more truly like, quote unquote, colorblind in the way that like, you know, 1990s, early 2000s progressives wanted you to be colorblind. Whereas this is a diverse cast, but they do minimal a minimal amount of exposition as to you know uh race relations but it's still there like it's not ignored totally yeah um and i appreciated that so the the very quick um reason or not reasoning we get but like the very quick explanation i guess is that so we are in king george's regency england and his wife is of I, you know his wife is actually of germanic ancestry but this and this is true there is debate going back and forth as to her heritage being possibly of mixed race that they think maybe that she had um, some relatives who were moorish or from a different region so that's, it's based very, very loosely on that kind of, I don't know, historical rumor or historical deb- debate. But in this show, the queen is played by a black actress who is so gorgeous and wears so many amazing wigs. But we will get to that more.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, there could just be an episode on her wigs alone.
1: Yeah, she's fantastic. And there there's a very quick discussion between... Uh, Simon Bassett and Lady Danbury, who acted as kind of his, I would say maybe like a godmother figure for him, who was also a black character. And they talk about the fact that the white King George marrying the mixed race queen is the reason why people of color can hold titles. And they really don't go any further than that, but it's kind of our like, our very quick tab as to like, here's why the universe is a little bit different than it actually was um, in this show. And I I like that even that tiny little exposition, you know, is a nod to acknowledging. And I like that.
0: You know, I say colorblind casting, but it really isn't. It's not fair to call it colorblind casting because I think this was cast very intentionally. I think, you know, they really were thoughtful about how they cast everybody in what roles even. Just, again, brings more people to the fold. It makes it so much better so much fuller and i do appreciate how little attention they gave to it you know that, yeah. that tiny bit of exposition it was yeah. really just like a line or two yeah. which is perfect because why go that's not what the story is about right. Well, right all we know is they're there they kind of philip k dicked it and they're like <laughs> yeah yeah they're like you know what it's just th- this happened and so we're this is an alternate history now this is the way it is yep so again yeah fuck accuracy because yeah. accuracy would would have been so much more boring than what yeah. they brought us here with exactly with bridgerton netflix series
1: what if i told you that the best part of waking up could be chocolate in your cup that's right we're talking hot chocolate for breakfast indulge the simple pleasures of doing what you want when you want with fries patent cocoa Recommended by the mysterious faculty as one of the greatest restoratives in nature, Fry's Patent Chocolate has long been in high repute as a pleasant breakfast, affording a light nutriment and particularly favorable to persons of weak and nervous constitutions. Don't delay, visit their website, chocolate.com to place your order today. That's C-H-C-L-8.com for all your good plain chocolate best plain chocolate, and fine crown chocolate needs. Well, uh, just like you were saying earlier with um, Daphne's bad haircut and showing how <laughs> anyone can overcome a bad haircut, I yes. think that this show has really driven home the fact that literally anyone looks good in Regency period clothing. It that, makes everybody like, better. It You don't have to be a pasty old white so-and-so like you can be literally anyone and you will just look amazing in regency period outfits and that's the thing so simon
0: obviously very compelling (laughs) character um and probably what i think was our first hook into the series a little bit yeah but seeing him in other things like prior to this Mm -hmm. he did not have that same oh my god He, he did he was like you know he's a great looking person. Yeah. Um I can't imagine what it's like to walk through this world looking like that. <laughs> um it must be magical, but um but he didn't have that like the, there was a certain amount of gravitas that the the clothes bring to him yeah. that that elevate even him who's already yeah. so objectively good looking.
1: Yeah.
0: He is an approximation of a dandy, you know, he he's mm-hmm. kind of doing like the, the dandy wear which is so good. Yep. And I will say from my generation i think our generation uh, there's so many things that i love that i would you know I, i'm not someone who fantasizes about being born or going back into time you right. know I, that is not a fantasy for me only because the realities of it again yeah too harsh for me i'm biracial i'm a woman i'm a lot of things that is it better to be today than it ever was in the past yeah, yeah. i don't i don't fantasize about that but these clothes like this period of time yes. for men's fashion is so compelling because it was so good. They Mm -hmm. gave so much time and attention to their fashions. And of all the things that I love about being born when I was born, having access to technology and information and all of this stuff and lots of good things. But one of the things that that makes me so sad about the time period that I grew up in is that I grew up in the time of (laughs) cargo shorts being male fashion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like to see to see that we could have men, you know, um, or you know, people who present masks, yeah. If that we could have this visual candy on
1: them. men, you know, you have derriers, you've got butts, and like I don't know who taught you to be ashamed of those that you would have to hide them in, yeah, like canvas. And like what twill and like whatever cargo shorts are made out of or baggy whatever's, but that's a shame. That's and also just, just like shame.
0: how you know the the framing of what a collar can do for uh, for a neckline. Th- those collars, my yes. god,
1: they cut a jaw. It's like they cut your jaw. Yeah, into like ooh, you look so it's, brooding. it's kind so of I'm like mysterious. the it's
0: kind of like what a bob does.
1: Yes that that those
0: collars do our generation the closest we got to that was when dudes started wearing multiple polo shirts yeah. <laughs> and popping the collars and that's yeah. the closest we ever got to that which makes yeah. me so sad
1: or the skater haircut from yeah. like when we were in middle school and the boys did kind of have a bob a little bit and um you know, JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas talking oh, to you. Like, yeah. you know, that was a great cut. But yeah, it's, I agree that like, I didn't know that you were going to say cargo shorts, but literally <laughs> you could have listed, you know, one of many things, right, from men's fashions in the last like two or three decades. And um I would have agreed with you because it's, It's just not there. It's not there.
0: Part of the fantasy is, oh, like there was this time when men took fashion very seriously Mm -hmm. and enjoyed looking good. Yeah, feeling torches like, <laughs> like, feeling feeling thorges. the full fantasy, you know. Yeah, we're talking about a very limited set of people, like very privileged people, because again, sure that time period sucked for most people, unless right. you were very rich, generally white. Yep, then it it probably sucked for you. But it, yeah. in this context, taking that that kind of regency period and making it into a fantasy, like having you know the the social. Set and having that you had a set of balls, you had a set of uh parties that you would attend, like mm-hmm. you had this whole season of social gathering, and that's also something that you know it's it's not something we really have as much, right? It's something that if you're in a scene, you know, in a little niche of a group, you might have you know concerts that you all go to together or bars that you frequent together. But mm-hmm. not in this way of like, you know, you don't have the marriage mart. <laughs> you don't have right people being introduced to each other for the purposes of being married off and making contracts with each other, more or less.
1: Yeah. Well, and not that there's like no, you know, mind games played. I, like that definitely comes up again and again. But But everyone is kind of there for a shared reason. So like you are all operating under the... Understanding that people are going to get married. Like, you know, if someone's showing interest to someone, there's a very good likelihood that they are romantically interested or marriage minded towards that person. And like with, you know, modern dating, that's not always the case. Like, people are not always that upfront, or they might say they want one thing, but that changes. So that's another like fantasy. Is that like, you know, um oh, yeah. there's like an understanding of this like partnership that people are trying to create with yeah, the other. Yeah, it's like
0: there is a there's a purpose mm-hmm. to the attention that you're receiving and the intention is real. Yeah. Um and I think, you know, you're absolutely right. That is also part of the fantasy of not mm-hmm. necessarily having to guess what the person wants or, or what this is. It just like it, it, everybody knows the rules are rigid and life is, you know, uh, a little bit less confusing that way.
1: Yeah. Very true. You know,
0: I thought, you know, in our rewatches, watches, um, Mm -hmm. in everything, you know, there's so many characters that are so well thought out that have, you know, fully their own lives that you can see you know, that are shown, mm-hmm. not told. And one of my favorites, I would like to take a little character spotlight and talk a little bit about Lady Violet Bridgerton yes. because she is the matriarch of the Bridgerton family. She is, she is one of those ton mamas mm-hmm. that is, you know, doing her best to get her daughters into the, in her sons, into the best situations that she can because you know, that is her main duty in life. And she takes it very mm-hmm. seriously.
1: Yeah, she... I I agree. I think that there's a lot of these kind of... I don't know. I hesitate to call them side characters because they really are crucial to the plot points. But but yeah, we definitely don't visit their story as much as we do like the Bridgerton siblings or some of the other characters. And Lady Violet is one of those. Whenever she's on the screen, she is... I, I feel like she's in every person in kind of a way like she doesn't have any like character like um cartoony characteristics she's pretty even keeled she is obviously looking out for the best interests of her family she is you know not necessarily underhanded there is a a kind of a subplot where she has to do a little bit of manipulation and maneuvering to get to the the heart of something but um but it's all uh none of it seems you know malicious she's like a um I don't know. Of of the the Tan Mama's, she is the absolute I think favorite. Um Oh yeah, she yeah, is and, she is
0: managing. Yeah. Um because yeah. she is, she is a manager. She is she's a mo- she's yep. a momager. She's she, a momager. She is, <laughs> she is the OG momager. <laughs> yeah. And she knows it. And she, like she's is good. just going to do her best. She's not going to pretend that she's not doing it either. Right. Cuz she she does get called out <laughs> for for yes. momaging by Anthony. But one of my favorite things about this show is that, you know, she is while they don't spend a lot of time on her story necessarily, you get it in bits and pieces because again, mm-hmm. the this series is not about her. It's about, you know, Daphne and Simon. But yep. the the little bits of interactions that she has with with her children are so telling in her her role with them, the respect of her and also where they get, you know, where where they get their cleverness and, you know, their their love from because yeah. Anthony, as the the man of the house, the patriarch, He's he Mm -hmm. is since um, his father has died, he is the Viscount. And he has to look after Daphne through the season. And he has responsibilities of his own as the Viscount to eventually marry and sire an heir, which he struggles with because Mm -hmm. he's in love with, you know, somebody who's forbidden to him, an opera singer. Mm -hmm. And so he's he's dealing with that. And um, he doesn't like that his mom is trying to set His sister up with his best friend, again, another romance romance trope, but it works. It's good. (laughs) It's good because it's good and it works. It's a trope because people like it, you know? So he's he's very upset by it, calls her out on, you know, doing that management that, you know, he, he dislikes so much. Um, And he even, he even comments that, you know, you were a reasonable mother, you know, you were, you were a reasonable person once until your oldest daughter got old enough to be married off. (laughs) Yeah. Because he doesn't see, he doesn't, you know, see it from the, the, the woman's perspective from, you know, the, the whole idea that this, this choice, what, what's happening right now in her life is going to dictate so much of her happiness in the future and the, the anxiety that comes with that because he doesn't have to deal with that truly. He's a dude, right? So he can do kind of whatever he wants for however long he wants. Well,
1: and that's such a tricky that has to be such a tricky relationship to navigate. Being, you know, going from being the son to being your, you know, kind of your mom's boss. If if you're if you're talking in terms of like the estate and like the future of the family, and I think the two of them, those those actors in those two roles, do a really good job of tiptoeing the line between you know a mother talking to her son who's being pretty crappy towards her and a son who thinks his mom is acting unreasonable and like they're both sort of stepping around each other in in a really tense way like those scenes between them are very tense but i do agree that i think that though the the bridgerton children really get their like affability from their mom like of course we never meet their father but like her, she is just like a very charming likable person even when she's arguing with someone and so like to see the two of them kind of put in that role is like very it's even more uncomfortable because again you can you can see it from both of their they sides. love each other and
0: you're right yeah. like the the tables have turned a bit because he is now her keeper mm-hmm. as far as society goes and as far as her situation her living situation goes so she has to listen to him overall he's the viscount and yeah and so yeah there's a, a weird power dynamic there But she does such an incredible job. It's written so incredibly that she lets him know more than once verbally without maliciousness that, hey, you're not smarter than me. You don't know more than me. And I'm doing this because I'm being reasonable, because I'm being sensible. And just because you can't see how it's sensible, like doesn't make it not sensible. Like she gives it to him in a way that is both loving and also just like a (laughs) <laughs> verbal smack. Yeah. It's
1: like a mama bear. Oh yeah. Like yeah. it is,
0: it is like pure, perfect matriarch. She is perfection as, as yeah. a mom and as like a momager as well. Like yeah. she, she, they, they put a lot into her and it, it shows. And the, the actress that plays her does such an incredible job. Ruth Camel is mm-hmm. so beautiful. She is yeah so right. She's so funny and she mm-hmm. fills out this character and makes her, a fully realized person in so many ways
1: well the way they cut to her too in different you know social situations or balls or promenades that they go to where something is happening and she's you know trying to watch her children and how they're interacting with those around her particularly daphne and simon she really does believe that they're suited for each other her reaction shots shots are always so great and so like mom-like but also you know a great fill-in for the audience there's that one ball that she attends where she just gets pretty roaringly drunk um, <laughs> yep. but it's not in a way that like makes a fool of herself like you know she's been to a ball like she knows how to take care of her how to manage herself but you can just tell she's like out of anxiety and just being like i don't know nervous for her children rightly so she's just downing like champagne flute after champagne flute it's that thing too
0: of like you know her and Lady Danbury in the background being kind mm-hmm. of the audience and being like we can we know what love looks like and we know right. that you guys are in it like yeah um, there's no fooling them they already know they're a love match and this is happening whether they like it or not it's already happening yeah
1: they're very sweet with each mm-hmm. other Lady Danbury and, and Violet Bridgerton, where they they are kind of like elbow nudging each other like, <laughs> yeah. Look at those two. Yeah, when they it's like make sweet. eyes at each
0: other, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's always so funny it's very and sweet, sweet. Yeah, but yeah, and and Ruth, who like they one of the the they did so many things right on this this Netflix series. But <laughs> one of the things that I really appreciated is like the the actors that they brought in to play these you know quote unquote side characters, the older society people. They brought in like heavy hitters. They, they brought in, like, mm-hmm. real British heavy hitters. And Ruth Gamal is, is one of them. She's been in a series of things. I think people most know her from uh, Fever Pitch, wh- which was a romantic comedy with uh, Colin Firth from the mm-hmm. late 90s. And she's just been, I mean name it she's been in doc martin she's been in penny dreadful mm-hmm. she's been in midsummer murders, midsummer yeah. murders. she's like
1: yep. i mean what english actor I, has yeah not she been is made. she is just <laughs> exactly. tried and true
0: and eastenders of course because i don't think you can be a british actor without That's being in Enders at yep. some point yep but yeah she she is someone who has just an amazing background she's got such good chops as a, an actress she is so good and commanding on screen that is just it makes it all that much more compelling that they, they got someone really good to fill this part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll talk more about the characters and how they appear in the books, um, in later episodes, but pound for pound this show, she is a much more fleshed out, likable character, uh, in the show than she is, than I found her to be anyway, in the books.
0: So many thoughtful choices that went into this show. Cause again, the, the source material, it's good. I can see why so many people liked it. I enjoyed it. But there were so many choices that were made in adapting it for the screen, adapting it into a visual and audio medium. And that is all due to my queen, Shonda Rhimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, just amazing. If you don't know, you're about to know. <laughs> Shonda, she is, she's amazing. She's an author. She's a scriptwriter. She's a showrunner. She's a producer. She's a CEO of her own production company named Shondaland, which is an amazing name. Amazing. And yeah, she, so she has The Year of Yes, which is a New York Times bestseller. And she wrote the screenplays for the Britney Spears movie Crossroads, which is amazing. (laughs) And also Princess Diaries, which now makes sense why I love Princess Diaries so much.
1: Yeah, I did not know that about Princess Diaries. that was
0: written well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she put in a lot of time to make it as a writer, which is so hard to do, just in general. And then being, you know, a black woman on top of that, so much harder to break into Hollywood that way. And then after after writing, you know, scripts for movies, she went out and created Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is like I don't know the longest running, you know? It's, yeah,
1: one of the longest running. It's basically shows the like time. the East
0: Enders of America. <laughs> and she's she did the spinoff Private Practice. She made Scandal, which is also another heavy hitter. Yeah. And she just brought so much viewership to ABC.
1: She was so good. The thing I like about her stuff is that it also seems like like things that she's genuinely into. Yes. Like like she. Uh, Is into stuff like, you know, like the princess diaries or like that stuff could be so swept under the rug as a like, oh, this is just like a tween interest, whatever. But yeah, that she gets behind these like things that are kind of light fair, but then she makes them these like huge epic endeavors. It's all those
0: thoughtful choices. You can just see the amount of thought and care that she puts into the work that she does. Which makes it all the more better, you know, and the thought that comes in when it comes to not only the writing, but the casting and, Mm -hmm. you know, how that what that means, like and what that means to people. You know, one of the background stories with with Bridgerton and with Shonda coming to Netflix is, you know, she she was. Super heavy hitter for ABC. Like she was, she she was basically what the romance genre is to books. She was to ABC. She was making them all their money. Mm -hmm. She was, she was making them who they were in TV.
1: What was the other one I was thinking? Oh, um, how to get away with. Oh, right, right, right. That was another one. Yeah.
0: Nothing but hits. Yep. And she actually ended up a very public kind of divorce with ABC, all over some Disney fast passes, basically. <laughs> like she she wanted some Disney passes for family that was gonna be in town. She called up an ABC exec. As one would you'd think, you would think you make hundreds of millions, I'm sure, for yep. for a company that um, has access to, you know, passes to to Disney Disneyland or Disney World you would think that you you mm-hmm. could call up and say, hey, can I get a couple passes that are, what, a couple hundred bucks? A thousand or so? Yeah. Who cares? Anyway, the exec basically treated her like she was being ridiculous, asking for freebies, and my queen, Shonda Rhimes, said, you know what? <laughs> I know my fucking value. I know yep. exactly what my value is I don't need to. You. You. I know what my value is to me. And mm-hmm. she, after all of that, Having built up this amazing portfolio, working to become, you know, from from writer to creator to showrunner to producer, said I- I've got this on my own. I don't need you. It's the opposite way. And if you if you can't realize that you're the ones who need me, then bye. Yeah. And so after that, signed her deal, which a ridiculous deal with netflix netflix was like please take all of our money take take it all take it all and i would not be surprised if netflix was like you know what we got you just like 10 forever
1: passes to disney world (laughs) yeah because look what happened yeah it's like one of the most viewed shows of all time
0: yeah this is very much bridgerton is kind of you know her thank you next (laughs) yeah after leaving abc and it's poetic in that way where She believed in herself and her abilities because she proved it to herself, obviously. And she has now proved it to everybody else. And it, it makes the show so much more enjoyable knowing that this is, you know, a big middle finger to, you know, people thinking that they can treat you any less than what you are. yeah. And I and I do think too, like it's important to note, Shonda's getting a lot of praise for this because her fingerprints are obviously all over this show. Her yeah. influence is all over this show. But I do think it's important, and I'm about to get on a, a very ner- nerdy soapbox because <laughs> I get so <laughs> passionate about this kind of stuff. But it's I think it's important to note that it's actually Chris Van Dusen who is the creator mm-hmm. and the showrunner of Bridgerton. I think he also maybe um, is like an executive producer possibly, but that's besides the point because Chris Van Dusen is proof of the just the the power that Shonda has because mm-hmm. he actually started out as her assistant like way 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 back when I think before um, Grey's Anatomy even I think like back in uh, from what I read like back in two thousand four he started with her as a as an assistant yeah so he, he is a product of her mentorship
1: and mm-hmm. he also
0: is an example of. What her leadership produces, what good leadership is, is finding and developing talent, supporting, supporting Mm -hmm. people who have, you know, who you see that same fire inside and giving them the tools, giving them the guidance and giving them the space to flourish in and of themselves to become you know what, what they want to become mm-hmm. and it's so rare that that type of kind of servant leadership is so rare because egos you know are a bitch yeah because you know just the the daily grind is so hard but like bridgerton is not only that big big middle finger to abc and to you know knowing your worth but also just a display of just what an incredible leader mm-hmm that Shonda Rhimes is. And I, I guess I just say that to say that uh, I would follow her into battle. <laughs> I, She is like, she is my, like if Ulysses S. Grant had his shit together, that's, that's Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. And I would follow yeah. her into any battle because <laughs> what she's produced and kind of this, this new path she's carving out in media is like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is so impressive because of the, yeah, it's, it's exciting. exciting. It's so impressive because the amount of work that went behind this, I'll never probably truly comprehend yeah and in the amount of like probably fighting that she's had to do the the battles that she's had to like fight out to to get to this place it is so impressive so good yeah I again in love with the show and everything about it (laughs) in love with Shonda in love with Chris Van Dusen like they're doing amazing things and I really can't wait to see what else you know comes out of Shondaland because it's so far so good they they are all you know what I'm going to say this. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. Shondaland is the A24 of TV. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I I, I, mean... am, I, am, I feel like I am in the best of hands when I know yeah. that it's something coming from Shondaland. Like, I, I yeah. know that, you know, I'm being taken care of. I'm being thought of and that other people are as well you're not
1: wasting your time yeah like
0: this this isn't yeah, yeah. this isn't some passionless like yeah the work is yes, there yes yes yes
1: yes yeah i i love it i definitely i appreciate you bringing that up about her leadership and like mentoring because i i didn't realize that about chris van dusen i mean i knew a little bit about his writing and stuff but um but i didn't know how closely they work together and i think that that is so true no matter like what work sphere you're in is that like people, the the best leaders are the ones who cultivate better people around them. Like, they are never, they don't feel competitive, they don't feel threatened, they put trust into the people they hire, and that trust is rewarded with good and great work. And I think that, yeah, that's such a great, like, lesson to be learned by her and the the people that she's surrounded herself with. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Bridgerton is only Bridgerton because it is the product of incredible leadership yeah you don't you don't get that level of product when you're working in a toxic environment it just it's yeah like petty like competition it's not possible so so that's another part of to me what makes makes bridgerton so special yeah i do i remember reading in an interview chris van dusen was talking about how he started out as a assistant and he always wanted to be a writer Mm -hmm. he would always conversations with her about what he wanted to do in the field um and she told him and i love this because it's such a you know pure good mentorship because he's like I want to be a writer I want to write scripts blah, blah 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 and she's like well if you want to do that you've got to do that like you've got to in your own personal yeah. time when you're outside of work you've got to work on the writing like that's the only way you're going to ever become a writer and he did that and she gave him a shot to write on Grey's Anatomy that's yeah you know sh- that is like such good uh just perfection i will never get over my standing
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and and i mean i think that shows for that that's also someone who's very secure with their own level of work and talent like she you know if she was not secure with that then she wouldn't have been as likely to cultivate that sort of atmosphere around her so yeah kudos to her i mean she's It's her world. It is her Shondaland, and we're just living in it, and I'm very happy to be a citizen of Shondaland. Also,
0: very happy. I am, (laughs) you know, I'm not even going to do dual citizenship. I'm going to revoke my citizenship to the (laughs) United States. And I'm
1: going (laughs) to... Yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of (laughs) there.
0: But yeah, like, it it is just, it's so good, again, on multiple levels, and it's just the the quality of the work is amazing. Yeah. Even if it's not accurate, guys, it's... (laughs) I'm just going to say it again, accuracy is
1: not the point. Yeah, who cares?
0: Like most people of a certain age, I remember exactly where I was when I found out that John Wiggett, proprietor of Chimney Sweeping Company, The Broom, died. It was truly a day that will live on in Chimney. And while Mr. Wiggett is gone, his memory has not been swept away. Least of all by his widow, Mary Wiggett, who's proud to announce that The Broom is back and better than ever. Widow Wiggit is commonly known by the name Beauty, but don't let that fool you. She will make those fouled chimneys clean, and when on fire, puts them out with all possible expeditions. So download the broom out today. That's B-R-U-M in your app store of choice. Sign up for contactless chimney sweeping today, and let them know that the ladies commonly known as Stunning sent you. But yeah, speaking of like how amazing yeah. this is... But also, actually, you know what? Just to get back to accuracy, I just need to touch on this again. If you're concerned about the accuracy <laughs> of, of this show, you should have turned it off as soon as you heard a string quartet playing "Thank You" next. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> doo, 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 doo. That was that was yep. a clue to you early on that, that this was. show is not about the realities of 1813 England. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And later, when they do like an amazing little shuffle dance, yeah, like cute
0: shuffle dance, yeah, the little hoppy dance,
1: it's yeah, <laughs> it's so cute. And it's like, how dare you call that out <laughs> yeah. as being anything but pure, unadulterated fun? Yeah,
0: get over yourself.
1: Bunch of buzzkills. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, and cares? you know what?
0: That middle finger to accuracy got Shondaland, got Chris Van Dusen over. Mm-hmm. 82 million
1: households
0: within the first month of it existing. Yep. A, a number that has not existed before in Netflix history.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: It's that's the first month. That's just the first month. Like <laughs> in, in the first month of this show existing, it got more households than voted for either presidential candidate. Okay. <laughs> Like th- yeah. this show is a uniter is what I'm saying.
1: Well, yep. I agree with you there.
0: I mean, who doesn't want to be united <laughs> with <Yeah>. Simon Bassett?
1: <laughs> with him and his spoon. Oh my
0: God. That spoon. Yes. Get out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, I remember when, um, so shortly before my library closed for um the Christmas holiday. I had a coworker who was asking a couple my, myself and a couple other coworkers, you know, has anyone heard of this Bridgerton? It's supposed to like air on Christmas Day. We were all like, "Oh no." And and of course, again, I had read the first book, but it had been 10 years and it was under the name The Duke mm-hmm. and I, and I did not know that there were any other like the name Bridgerton did not ring a bell to me. And I remember her showing me pictures of the main actors. And she's like, look at this man. And I was like, yeah, he's very attractive. Like, And just kind of like went back to my work or whatever. And then on Christmas Day, I was like, I mean, yeah, a, a Regency period drama sounds like a pretty nice like fantasy to lose myself in or yeah. whatever. And like, whew, I just didn't know. Nobody knew.
0: Nobody knew. Feel, I feel so bad for all the families that watch this together.
1: I mean, yeah, there same. was,
0: they did do the warning. They said. You know, explicitly sexual content, violence, smoking—all that stuff is in here, but yeah. it's packaged so pretty. Especially like the face of it is like it just looks like a really innocent. Yeah, and very, it is fairly yeah. innocent, um, minus Anthony. Right.
1: <laughs> Anthony up against that tree. Yeah, which yeah, you get that in like the first. Which three minutes. funny, funny so,
0: tidbit that that scene Anthony and uh, oh, what is her name the the opera singer Sienna? Sienna yeah, that Sienna. was Anthony's first scene on set. <laughs> <laughs> which is horrifying to me. <laughs> like, I can't imagine having to start a job and then like meeting everybody and being like, yeah, be like trousers, get your down. butt out. We're going to patter it. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> and um, along that same note, the scene of Simon and Daphne in the library on the, the little library ladder. Oh yes. That was their first day on set. Which knocked it out of the park. I mean, Yeah, I'll I can't imagine. But I mean, they had it. They had it then and there. I'm sure they yep. worked on these things beforehand. So good. I mean, I know I would try to get as much blocking time with, <laughs> with the breakage <laughs> as possible. I'd be like, you know, I truly just don't understand what the scene is like, um, what yeah. I'm supposed to be doing.
1: <laughs> How is my leg supposed to be up by his shoulder on this library ladder? Oh, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Like, explain it to me Yeah. Again. Yeah, there there are so many good, you know. I I think that's also part of what uh, people are responding to. There's so many good TikToks and memes about like the response to like how sexual it gets between them in you know episodes five and six or yeah, (laughs) episode six is basically just them boning the entire time.
1: Yeah, it's great. Um, Oh, speaking of fantasy, though, and this this does happen later in the series, but if you didn't think this was fantasy, (laughs) the the episode where he goes down on her angrily (laughs) on the stairs, and then she's like, should we take this to the bedroom, you know, suggesting you want to get yours too, husband, and he's like, nah, (laughs) it's like, whoa okay wait a second so he just gave her pleasure and it wasn't like transactional in any way yeah
0: like he just needed to do that like he just was like big
1: time fantasy like he just needed to pleasure her even though he was in a bad mood and he was mad at her fantasy (laughs) like fantasy big old bubble letters also also being able to
0: lay on on steps like concrete steps
1: (laughs) yeah and not have like back pain for the next three days yeah
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> complete, complete fantasy. Yeah, like that is like uh, just it again. But again, <laughs> fantasy. But we're horny for it. Like we, we're so horny for uh, it for everything about this show. Not just the sex stuff. The the entire show is like this kind of breath of fresh air yeah. when it comes to how those things are handled in media
1: and it's been recognized. I mean, we're still pretty early in award season, but um, they've been nominated for screen actors guild awards and NAACP Mm -hmm. awards. Um, I know the Emmys still have yet to to come out, but, um, and maybe even the BAFTAs, I think haven't, haven't announced their nominations yet, but they're definitely, it's definitely getting recognition. From their peers and, and critics as Which well. Which is
0: it's so important because yeah, there is there is a thing, and you know, um, this will be a continuous conversation, I'm sure, throughout this podcast. But there's there's a thing when something is popular,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's devalued in a certain way. It's devalued in like a yeah. critical way that yeah. its popularity means that it's base in some way, means that it's not right. art in some way. You know, right. um, when right. so this is so much artistry has gone into this show. I mean, wig artistry, costume artistry, Mm -hmm. you know, character artistry, writing art. Like, there's so much that makes this so good and so popular that should be recognized, you know, by, by the industry because it is... It, it brings value, brought value into this world, brought people yeah. into having conversations that they probably wouldn't have had.
1: It inspired us to, do a, inspired us
0: to do a podcast because we couldn't stop talking <laughs> about this show and why we, why it like compels us to like get deeper into things, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so actually, you know what? I, I did make a little game for you, Erin. <gasps> Yes, And I I do want to warn people, you know, this is not a PG podcast. I think you might've heard us, you know, drop some (laughs) cuss words here and there so far. And if you're not into like blue humor, now's your time to just cut it. You know, we're we're probably about 10 minutes from the end or something like that. Just feel free to cut it from (laughs) here because we're going to play a game of would you rather. I've set up a scenario for Aaron and come on guys. We all saw the show, right? You, you read the book. There's a lot of like, sex is not. You get you it. Know, it. It's going to get blue from here. <laughs> so, just fair warning cut out now if you would rather not listen to us talk <laughs> and joke in that way. Aaron. Yes. I have a situation for you. And I okay. just want to preface this by saying that this is, a, I think, an extremely important mind experiment. Like, this is.
1: Oh, okay. This is like Descartes. This is like. I'm trying something
0: here and I'll explain a little bit later, but I'm trying something here and this is for a purpose. I want you to keep this in mind. Okay, okay. So, would you rather be married to Simon Bassett, but the reason he can't nut in you is because. (laughs) 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 Okay, I knew I was gonna have trouble with this. Okay, okay, so so you're married to Simon Bassett. But the reason okay. he can't nut in you isn't because of his stammer or terrible dad; oh, it's that he shits out of his urethra and comes out his bottle when, when 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 he okay. climaxes. So so yeah. So <laughs> okay, so that's scenario so one. Yeah. Um. So if or or oh boy, marry uh-huh. and bear the children of Nigel Burbrook.
1: Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> all right so here's okay we gotta i gotta get some explanation okay. here so if he comes at me it's shit yeah when, when he climaxes out yeah.
0: of his penis is shit it's because he's all, shit. his tubes got all mixed up right this is so okay and that's why he's refusing <laughs> you know that <laughs> happens you know what it, it again Fantasy. Fantasy. <laughs> this is a terrible, right. this is a nightmare. But, like, so, yeah. <laughs> he, so he, he, his, his, uh, pathways got mixed up, right? And so when okay. he climaxes, it's, it's shit. And he actually shits out of his penis. Um, and so okay. that's why he's refusing to come in you because he's like, I, I'm not going to sh- shit in you. Oh, okay. Um, but, but the see. thing is, he does, you know, um, he does come, but it's just out of his butt. Yeah. Hole
1: okay 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 oh geez all right well okay so i want to explore this topic (laughs) more because i'm having a real hard time thinking about any kind of intimate time with nigel burbrook so i just want to leave him on the side for a second so with the duke um if he okay so we could still have sex and he could do his normal thing of like Pull out yeah. and wherever. finish himself off. But it's just, like, yeah, but it's just yeah. shitting. Yeah. <laughs> um. But what if I want to get pregnant with him?
0: <laughs> that means that he is basically farting into your. <laughs> Does
1: he? Have to shit <laughs> the- He's gonna fart into your vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what would that even <laughs> look like? I just. That I would. And have here's the thing, too.
0: In this scenario, you do still want yeah. children with him because he's Simon, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, So, yeah. so you're still yeah. going to
0: want them babies, but, like, it's going to
1: come... We're going to have beautiful it's children. It's going to come at a cost. Wow, what a cost, though. Yeah, and, like, everything
0: else is, like, the same. He's still, like, he's still perfect yeah. in every other way, except for this one way where, you know, you're either, you know the chances of a coli um
1: <laughs> that's the thing are, are pretty I'm high that i mean even like best case scenario yeast infection I mean, and it's like they don't have diflucan that, like you know what i mean like they can't like i they don't have kombucha they don't they don't have like yogurt like i mean at know. best you're gonna get some cranberry
0: know. juice but it, that's gonna be expensive as hell
1: true true uh, i'm gonna have to wait for colin to get back from the the, you know, the continent. Yeah, right. <laughs> you me some cranberry yeah. juice.
0: <laughs> and, and here's the thing is like, you know, marry and bear the children of Nigel Burbrook. Um, but
1: I really don't like that mother. And the, like, I don't want to have that lady. So the thing
0: is, too, she would um actually still live with you guys because oh. Nigel, Nigel Burbrook is a mama's boy.
1: So, yeah, because we so here's what we're pitting up against each other. A lifetime of getting shit in and on. <laughs> Or getting metaphorically shit in and on, but with cum. Yes. Or a life with Nigel Burbrook. And here's the thing. I'm really (laughs) leaning towards getting shit on.
0: (laughs) See, and this is the thing. This was the experiment, right? Because I was like, I was trying to think, like, is there anything that could make Simon (laughs) an an unattractive choice? Like, yeah, what what could make him possibly an unattractive choice? In comparison to Nigel Burbrook. And my thought was that uh, probably not nothing, really. There's not much.
1: Right. No. Not even if the man shits when he comes. (laughs) And comes when he shits. Like, it's it's the weirdest curse. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, nobody has to know but you guys, right? That's true. And you know what? Here's the thing. I'm like... This is me being my normal, like, positive thinking Aaron self is, like, if he has to come in me from his butt, (laughs) like, we're going to have to be in, like, a level of intimacy that, like, I personally have never experienced with another human. And so, like, I don't know. Maybe that might be something kind of (laughs) sweet. Just between you two, right? (laughs) Just a little. Yeah. Like, we just have to work around this. Funny little mechanic way of the way his body works. Um,
0: no, yeah, I mean, boy,
1: that's a hard one. But I definitely think I'm going to go with with my man. Simon. I mean, I don't blame you. I because also the other thing is like he is. I mean, if we're talking about Regé or Regé, <laughs> Regé Jean Page, his Simon, which I think we will forever after. Yeah. There is no there, other. Simon there is no to other. <laughs> um, that man is so. On fire, attractive. Like, it's honestly hard for me to even look at the screen sometimes when he's on because I feel like almost embarrassed about looking at him because he's so attractive. And so, I feel like, in my like Irish Catholic way that I grew up, I feel like everything comes at a cost. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, if I'm with a man that's that attractive, I have to be, I have to undergo some kind of like. Weird punishment in some oh, yeah. way, and if that punishment is we gotta have a kind of crazy backward sex life,
0: so be it. Uh, you know what? Fair. That is fair, <laughs> and that is very that is very uh, Irish Catholic of you um, to say that like of <laughs> course my my pleasure has to come at some cost.
1: Yeah, there's a byline somewhere. And yeah, and, and the yeah. thing is in
0: in this situation he thinks the things of you that he said to the queen about Daphne. So
1: yeah, and you know. That might be enough. Yeah. I mean... That might be enough. They had condoms back then. They had... True. And he's... The boy... I mean, he's very good at pulling Yeah, he's
0: practiced. He's well practiced.
1: He's, like... He's pretty pro. Well, yeah, because
0: it it would be very embarrassing for him to shit inside
1: somebody. Yeah. (laughs) Accidentally. And if we're in Regency England, the whole bedroom smells like shit anyway, because there's a chamber pot chilling out on the bed. Yeah, it's, like, not... It's not adding to... That's not a problem.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. So, um... (laughs) So even, so even in the event that, yep. you know, you could deal with vaginal infections the rest of your life, <laughs> you would not choose to
1: marry Nigel Burbrook instead. Yeah. It's a hard pass wow. On Nigel. Wow, wow. 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 I know. Nigel. I know. I know. That was a good one. I liked it. But
0: anyway, <laughs> that's,
1: <laughs> that, that is <laughs> talk of the talk. So that's that, our show. That's, it, that's the podcast. <laughs>
0: We've alluded to it before, but, you know, the the big thing for us about watching this series was that it kind of ignited our curiosity of this story, this world. And so we both dove into the book series just because we wanted to stay in this world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to be our next episode is discussing specifically The Duke and I. Mm-hmm. Discussing it as romance book, uh, you know, historical romance book. Also discussing it in context with the tv show and kind of the Mm -hmm. differences and and all of that
1: yeah so if you are not familiar with the books i would encourage you to check your public library i know that a lot of The public libraries have beefed up their collections of the Bridgerton series um, simply because the show is so popular. But if you would also like to own books, I would like to encourage you to stray away from the conglomerate of Amazon and maybe head towards um, your independent bookstores. One site that I like to use is called bookshop.org. And that can pull from independent bookstores in your area but it also gives back to independent bookstores all over. So if you're looking to pick up the books, I would encourage you to do that. And hopefully you can join us for next time. A thousand expressions of gratitude for joining us on this episode, dear listeners. And thank you next to filmmaker, activist, and friend of the show Kwame Phillips for gracing us each episode with his ducal vocalism. You can check out more of his work at kwamephillips.com. That's com. and you can reach out to us via Twitter, Instagram, and email at That's TonTalkPod. That's T O N T A L K P O D at gmail.com and social media. Until next time, xoxo, Aaron and L.